AgriTalk is brought to you by Case IH. Solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH, built by farmers. And by Grounded. Spray smarter and improve herbicide performance with Grounded, a multifunctional adjuvant from Helena. It was another ugly week for the cotton market. Let's just get this out of the way right up front. December cotton posted the biggest move in the ag markets this week, dropping 702 points for an 8.9% decline in value in one week. Recession fears are the big problem for cotton. Let's find out how the cattle and beef markets are standing up to those fears. Live from the final Agri-Info Lap of the Week via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Agri-Talk. This afternoon, we'll talk with Scott Varlick from Coima Coima Varlick Trading. Later, ag economist Glenn Tonzor from K-State University. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's your beloved host, Chip Laurie. Davis, I cannot believe ah. that earlier this week... We had a conversation with Jordan Fife about what's going on in the energy markets. That was this week. That was this week. Yes. <laughs> We've packed a it, lot it, in. Oh, my goodness gracious. We have covered a lot of ground on AgriTalk this week. Thank you so much for listening and coming along for that learning experience. I mean, the, the conversation that we had with Jeff Cooper from RFA, president and CEO, about the electric mm-hmm. RINs, I keep replaying mm-hmm. some of that in my mind, thinking, what am I missing? Oh. What am I missing? What am I missing? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, former Representative Conaway, that we the conversation that we had yesterday, uh, I I keep going back to the idea that he presented that the mm-hmm. GOP, if they gain control of the House, which is widely expected, mm-hmm. that they're going to have to get back to the debt and deficit cutting. Um, that's going to be a hard pill. For this Congress and for the conditioned people of this country mm-hmm. to swallow. I mean, that's really going to be something. We learned a lot this week, dude. I feel like, why don't why don't we all, you know, and this, you too, beloved listener, yeah. let's just take a moment. Let's oh. just take a cleansing breath. Are you ready? Are you ready? Mm, Here we go. No. Uh-uh. Oh, wow. You kind of forced it on us, didn't you? Don't you feel better now? Oh, oh we love you too, Agri-Kitty. All right, welcome better. to the show this afternoon. Glad that you're with us. I'm Chip, that's Davis. Hey. And we are talking cattle and beef on today's mm-hmm. uh, uh, market show. Scott Varlick, KKV. We're, Scott's got something in the notes that he wants to talk about that. I'm not going to give you any clue as to what it is right now. But it's something that really caught my attention. And a bee in I, his cowboy hat, you might say. Yeah. I, a ten gallon idea. Curious. I am curious, mm-hmm. I am curious mm-hmm. about what he has to say about cow slaughter coming up here in just a little bit. All right, wow. let's get to the news, Excellent. man. What do you got? Chip, front month SRW wheat opened slightly higher but on session highs before dropping to spike support at 825. We've been talking about dropping to spike support an awful lot in this wheat market this week, Chip, it seems like. Yes, we have. Traders rejected that setback, but December soft red still posted a low-range close and the lowest close of the week. Some chart watchers argue the market is strengthening support at eight and one quarter. 
Others argue the market is chipping away at the support level to begin the next leg lower. The U.S. dollar the, uh, dollar index this week traded as high as 112.44 on Monday's high and as low as 109.54 on Thursday's low, but the setback in the greenback did little to support wheat prices. Next week, traders will take note of the first crop condition report for the fall-winter wheat crop. Uh, Pro-Farmer editor Brian Grady himself says we could get a new record low crop rating on Monday afternoon, Chip. December yep. HRW wheat futures 7 and 1 quarter lower today, 925. Dece soft red down 9 and 1 quarter, 829 and 1 quarter. December spring wheat closed at 945. That's down 5.5 cents today. Yeah, 825 in that December SRW wheat has become critical support on the week, December SRW down 21 and a half cents, December HRW wheat down 23 and a quarter, and December spring wheat down 16 and a half cents. December corn futures this week saw a high of 689 and three quarters and a low of 676 and one quarter as the contract stayed well within the boundaries of the long-term sideways trading range. Today's close was the lowest of the week. Harvest progress, a lack of export demand, and uncertainty over supplies out of Ukraine for the year ahead limited upside price potential. Downside risk has been limited for months by tightening U.S. and global corn ending stocks. Next week, traders will watch conditions in Brazil and Argentina and will prep for the U.S. crop updates coming November 9. December corn futures were a penny and a half lower, 680 and three quarters. March corn down a penny to 686 and three quarters. July corn futures closed at 680 and one half down one half cent chip yeah you know that's not a terrible range uh, but i'm a guy in the that that has been in the market in times when the weekly trading range was two two and a half cents so mm-hmm. you know we we look at that trading range and it's it, it seems narrow but 13 cents eh, i don't know if that's that's terrible or not on the week december corn down three and a half cents july corn on the week down three cents USDA this morning announced the sale of 126,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China in the current marketing year and the sale of 198,000 metric tons of beans to Spain also for delivery in this marketing year. Soybean futures extended the current sideways trading range to four weeks. Prices are locked inside the $13.50 to $14 price range in November futures. Strength in soybean oil futures the first half of the week gave way to late-week profit-taking. Conversely... Early week price pressure on soybean meal futures turned into a late week rally <laughs> as spreaders unwound long oil short meal spreads. November beans five and a half cents higher, thirteen eighty seven and three quarters. January beans up six and three quarters to fourteen dollars and one quarter cent. July soybeans closed at fourteen nineteen and one half up seven cents today. You know, a little bit of bear spread movement in the soybean market this week. November soybeans down seven and three quarter cents. July soybeans on the week down just three cents. It's not a huge move, but it's a little bit more movement in that spread than maybe what than what we have been seeing for a while. Um, the product markets, Dece bean oil, up 29 points on the week, just 29 points. It was kind of a volatile week, and December soybean meal was up seven and a half bucks. Hmm. Wow. Well, December cotton futures traded at the high of the week shortly after Monday's open and traded at the low of the week on today's close. That's kind of a theme in these markets this week, Mm -hmm. isn't it, Chip? It is. December cotton today, 300 points lower, 72.11. Can't look good on the week, Chip. Yeah, like I said in the open, down 702 points, down 8.9%. 
Well, December cattle shot higher on Monday, then spent the rest of the week whittling a dollar off prices as futures traders waited for the cash market to engage. Cash prices are higher this week, but December futures remained lower today with prices closing on support. December fat cattle 42 and one half lower, 153 even. April live cattle down 27 and one half, 159, 22 and a half. And Novi feeders off 25 cents, 177.82 or 87 and one half. And on the snout side, December lean hog futures posted an inside day with the close above the opening range after Thursday's price plunge. These hogs 97 and one half higher today, 86.10. April 57 and one half higher, 92.70 at the close. All right. Thank you very much, Davis, on the week. December live cattle down a dime. November feeder cattle down 47 and a half cents. And Thursday really hurt the hog market on the week. December lean hogs down $3, two and a half cents. We've got Scott Varlick, KKV Trading. Coming up next, we're talking cattle here on Agritalk. Agritalk is brought to you by Bex. From farmer's first pass in the field to the final pass at harvest, it's a game plan rooted in faith and belief. See why at BexHybrids.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Chip. Davis. I don't, I don't know if this is true. I just clicked on my news feed on my phone. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Well, well, unless you know for sure. I don't know. People Magazine is reporting. Great Balls of Fire rocker Jerry Lee Lewis passes yeah. away at 87. Okay, there's reason to be there's reason to be cautious there because okay, okay, the his death was reported earlier this week too, and his his spokesperson had to come and say no, he's still with us. Oh, so there is reason to be cautious with that okay. report. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But he's not well. Yeah. Oh. What what we know is that Jerry Lee is is not well, and the the time is coming soon. Uh, yeah, no. Oh gosh, that that's yeah. sad. E- exactly. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Keep your eye yeah. on it. Let's on that let's note. see if we can get it confirmed. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's bring him in, Scott Varlick, Coima Coima Varlick Trading. Scott, it's good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate being on the show, and I have no insight for you on anything that would be 
in people's magazines. So I have any answers for you there. Uh, be my More category. room for me. More room for me. <laughs> oh, man, I was going to try to name some celebrity couple that say, you know, and say, you, you mean you don't know anything on, and I can't even come up with one. <laughs> I, I did have to ask my sister the other day if Tim and Faith were still married, and I guess they oh. still so that that was the only one I really know about. So, okay, good, good. Well, that does make me feel a little bit better there. Oh, I did see this one today. Uh, Tom Brady and Giselle, Giselle, Giselle. How do you say her name? Giselle? Are I think you getting say a it. divorce? I think that's how it's yeah, actually she's, pronounced. She's been calling to tell me that, but I just uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> she's she's saying scott i mean it this time this time it's for real it's over between me and that brady scott's like this guy's no good for you baby he's got no future he's got no future <laughs> that's right i'm hoping my wife uh, does not tune into this uh, we're only kidding mrs Barley. 15 oh. years for sure only joking. oh that's wonderful that's wonderful <laughs> how's the cow herd man you know, it's doing pretty good. I think we uh, finally got a little shot of rain last night. That was a blessing just to know that it can still fall out of the sky. And I think there's a, you know, a large chunk of this cow-calf country here. And and it kind of stretches into Iowa. It is, it is dry. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a pretty serious issue. And um, it's a little bit scary. We made it through the year okay, I, I think, with, uh, with hay and, and some feed um southeastern south dakota and, and some of nebraska struggled just a little bit more but um we're going into next year we're this winter is going to be a little important to see if we can get some moisture on the ground because yeah. making it making it through this year but next year that could get a little bit tough yep yep and it's going to have an impact on the cattle market i mean this cattle market is a weather market as much as any market that we're dealing with right now scott i know we're going to get into some of that um the cash market this week give me your take on what is going on there because it feels like the feed yard is getting some leverage it definitely does uh it does feel like the the feed yard's got a little bit of leverage here and and starting to try to remember how to use it is is what it feels like right. so it's awesome 152 last week as far as some highs to start the week it, it started with a little bit of 152 but most people said you know what i I think I want to hold out for just a little bit more. So um, the bids did get to 153, but still not a lot of traction um, as far as actual sales coming across. You, you saw a few 155, 156 deals on some some smaller regionals that maybe bought some, but that's not an up and down the road price that everybody's getting. That would be more or less uh, where people are priced, 154, 55, and 56 for the week. So. Okay. It feels like the Packers, you know, raising the bid, not getting a lot of cattle bought. So I'm not sure if we've got a, I think we're pretty current. So I don't know if it's going to do the Packer that much good. If he raises the the bids by a dollar, right. I'm not sure there's going to be just an abundance of cattle that they're going to turn into and, and get into. So it might be, you know, that might be why the Packers just laying there saying, okay, let's just stay right here for the week. Let's back up the cattle for a week and then maybe they can, yeah, get a little leverage back from on their side. Okay, you're describing what's going on in the northern market, right? What about the southern market? Is there any indication of the currentness of the feed yards down south? 
it was pretty rough there towards the end of the summer. They were uh, still quite full of cattle, but I think the the feed costs are going to start to fix some of that issue just a little bit. Um, you're talking, you know, a few different instances where they're saying it's $9 corn, just uh, getting it to the oh. bunk for $9. And um, I, I think that issue is going to kind of slowly um, fix that problem down there is they're going to want to stay current. They're, they're going to need to get paid more if they're going to put put cattle on feed. So I don't think we're overrun by numbers. The, negoti- the, the, the negotiated trade down there is on the increase. They've gained, uh, you know, about a dollar every week and some weeks too. Um, but they're only trading, you know, 7,000 head in Texas, um, versus the, the 90,000 head that are coming across. And those are both, you know, estimates, but they're fairly close. But so we still don't have a lot of negotiation happening in the South, but hopefully we can see a little bit of an increase on, on that number. Once we realize what we have and the opportunities that we have. Scott, you and I have talked a few times in the last Oh, a couple of years, maybe 18 months, about how the pandemic changed the grocery store consumers' uh, appetite for beef and quality beef, choice and prime beef over select beef. With with what's going on with feed prices, with what's going on with inventory, with with the currentness of the feed yards, are we having a problem? Are, are we finding it difficult to produce enough choice beef for the market? We've definitely seen the trend. Consumer wants uh, higher quality meat. That's why, uh, you know, a program like Certified Angus Beef that's going to promote some quality can can get as much traction as they do. And that's why we're seeing a choice select spread as wide as it is right now. Um, in a little chat group, just as of yesterday, they're trying to ask around, say, well, what's everybody getting for primes? You know, well, that's that seems to be the next market is, the, the desire for that prime or upper choice meat is, is absolutely there from a demand side. They've, they've had a taste of it and, uh, and that's what the market wants. So there's a, there's a, a large drive to try to get some higher quality, um, you know, cuts out there. The consumers have figured it out, just like we said. And, and I think there's real opportunities for, um, for raising quality uh, going forward. And I think the market's going to slowly try to fix itself. I guess that's my optimism there that um, some of these higher quality cattle are going to have their days in the sun yet moving forward. Okay. Okay. We're, we're probably going to come back to the box beef market here in just a little bit, but here at the end of this segment, it, uh, talk to me about the condition of the futures trade. Uh, is, is it, is it offering uh, uh, a risk management tool or is it just so thin and illiquid that you can't do anything with it? No, it's, it's, it's okay. And, and I like what I'm kind of starting to see out of some of the action. We've had a, a bear spread market for so long. We all thought this market could go higher. So the deferred contracts are what was rallying and, and the fronts just underperformed and, and we could never get to that time frame when we're finally seeing some of the front months, seeing cash lead. Some of the front month contracts follow this cash higher, that's a great sign of strength for me. And I still have some of those uh, higher prices in the deferred contracts. I, I, what it costs to, to put a pen of cattle on feed, you're starting to sling around quarter million dollar checks fairly quickly and you haven't even put any feed into them. So from, from my standpoint, 
I am looking for some kind of trade to protect myself. This is kind of a setup here. When you have upper 150s break-evens, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I need the market to move higher before I can lock anything in. Hmm. Yeah, that that's fine. I agree. But uh, only one black swan, which we seem yep. to get so used to into the in the cattle market, could wipe us out. And anybody that's left uncovered could be in some real trouble if we all of a sudden had an unexpected event happen. So you're not going to find me slinging around those kind of dollars and and not having anything under me to fall back on. This is, you know, this is a way to kind of lose the family farm if you stick your neck out just a little bit too far. And, and that's not something I'm interested. So I know I need the market to go higher and I think that it can go higher but trying to find a way just to kind of protect those large amounts of dollars that I still have out there. You're just talking about a price floor, maybe putting some sort of a put uh, strategy in place. Absolutely. And I don't think uh, some of these puts that far out, you know, even out into next spring, they don't look all that high price to me and they're still at good levels. They're not at levels that make me money. And I hope I never have to use that insurance policy, but at least I've got something under there at a decent price that I can continue into next year. Okay, excellent. We will probably circle back to that as well. We are having a conversation with Scott Varlick, KKV Trading. We're going to keep it going when we come back right here on AgriTalk. Time now for news of note from Pro Farmer. The Mexican Deputy Agriculture Minister told Reuters Mexico was on track to cut its U.S. imports of GMO yellow corn in half. Russia said only 3% of food shipped from Ukrainian ports since the grain export deal was signed has gone to the poorest countries. Much-needed rain improved conditions for wheat and corn in Argentina. Of the 12 labor unions involved in bargaining, six have ratified their agreements. Two of the largest unions still in the process of ratification and are expected to announce results in mid-November. The Fed started losing money last month sooner than many had expected. And about 47% of Europe's ammonia capacity is now offline, but that's down from 70% in September. And by the way, cash cattle traded around 150 in the Southern Plains on Thursday, about two bucks higher from last week. Get more at TryProFarmer.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Starting to feel a little bit like a Friday right there. Here we go. All right. Welcome back to the show. I'm Chip. 
We've got Davis with us. We are in the middle of a conversation yeah. with Scott Varlick from Coima Coima Varlick. Uh, before we get mm-hmm. back to Dan, let's go ahead and recap where the market's closed, Davis. To Dan? I think you oh, said I was looking. I'm sorry. To Scott. I was looking at an email from Dan when I said that. We are going to get to an <laughs> email Dan from Dan. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's let's start here. December HRW wheat futures seven and one quarter cents lower nine twenty five. December soft red wheat down nine and one quarter today eight twenty nine and one quarter. December corn futures a penny and a half lower six eighty and three quarters. March corn uh, down a penny six eighty six and three quarters. November soybean futures five and a half cents higher thirteen eighty seven and three quarters. July soybeans closed at fourteen nineteen and one half. That's up seven cents today. December cotton three hundred points lower seventy two eleven. On your livestocks, December fats forty two and one half lower one fifty three even. November feeder futures down twenty five cents to one seventy seven eighty seven and one half. And December lean hog futures ninety seven and one half higher at eighty six ten. And Chip, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Varlick from Coima Coima Varlick Trading uh, did mention some sort of black swan. <laughs> Just as a reminder to the listener, you'll know a black swan is imminent when you hear this sound. That's how you'll know. That's, uh, dude. That's how you know. Um, can huh? I suggest? Uh, let me huh? make this suggestion. Let me make this suggestion. You All know, right. this weekend when when maybe you're sitting around, have nothing to do, go ahead and uh-huh. take a look at on Golden Pond, and uh-huh. let hopefully that will convince you that that is not a golden or that that is not a a black swan, dude. Uh, that's just not. Are you, maybe I just I, need to relax a little bit. There he goes again. Uh, you know what? You're Let's get exactly back to the conversation right. with Scott Varley, KKV Trading. Scott, uh, question from Dan on email. He very simply wants to know how does LRP compare the livestock risk protection insurance compared to the put strategies? Yeah, there's a, a, a similar similar strategy there. Both have their ups and their downs, and. And as some of the government money that their uh, subsidy money that kicked into that program, it made me get up to speed real fast and and get the ability to carry that product. So Mm -hmm. um, dabbling in both, I can kind of give you a rundown. Buying a put on the board, um, you're using the futures market right here that we're looking at, talking about the prices on the Chicago board. And that's what we're going to trade off of is that futures contract right here. You buy that put, you pay for it up front to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And that's something that you can carry as long as you want. You can get out of it the next minute, the next hour, the next day, or hang on to it all the way through as needed protection. The, The livestock risk protection is going to be a policy that um, is going to be tied more towards an average of the cash market. And it's going to have a little bit of government subsidy stuck into it. Um, and, you know, the, the plus side of it is you don't have to pay for that until you get all the way through until um, the policy comes due. Um, but it does have to it, it the downside would be that it locks you in to that window, that time frame. You are uh, that policy is going to go off the day that you have it set for. Um, you can sell a cattle 60 days ahead in advance. It, it was 30. They've moved it to 60, I guess, because of some, some drought conditions. So 
you're a little bit more locked into the policy, but you don't have to pay for it until after it's all said and done. So you can get right. paid from for your cattle and it's going to be tied to the cash market. So if you're in an area that a positive basis could really happen, um, if you're more interested in futures, the, the LRP program has seemed to work a lot better for me and hogs and feeder calves than it has in the live cattle yet, to be honest with you. Um, it, it goes in spurts. I keep an eye on both of them. There's times where it works and times where the futures are better. So it's just one more thing to keep in yeah. step with. It's a nice tool to have though. Yeah. Yeah. But if you are a livestock producer and, and haven't used it, haven't looked into it, it's worth looking at and, and understanding how that program works, isn't it? Oh, for sure. That, that yeah. was, uh, my instinct when I started to learn more about it, uh, suddenly had to shift gears and take some insurance tests, but, <laughs> but because yeah. there's, there's some value there and it's, it's a nice program. And, um, to me, the long-term picture, yeah, you're not sure if it's, uh, if it's something that's here today, gone tomorrow, but I look at the, the crop industry and how, how the government is very tied to insurance and what it is for a crop producer mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me if they want to continue to get more involved in the livestock yeah. Um, yeah. production side. So you hear it all the time for the new farm bill, Scott, you hear it all the time. Yep. So I'm going to be uh, be aware of it and what's going on because, it, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that's something that's okay. pushed a little bit harder um, into the livestock industry. All right. Very good. Slaughter levels. Um, boy, you've got my you've got my interest up on the notes that you sent. What do you see going forward across the board? Feed yard inventories. I know we got a lot of heifers in the feed yards compared to steers. Uh, doesn't seem like there's much movement to rebuild a cow herd yet that's the that, that those are the numbers that get me uh, really excited and a little bit depressed at the same time as we see the the cow herd shrink um but that that's what's jumping out we're, we're into a year where we've got increased production year to date we're talking four percent increase in production and um, large daily slaughter numbers, the 128,000 a day. The other day we had 129,000. So continue to just mow through the beef as the Packers uh, are selling plenty of beef ahead and, and really interested in continuing to fill those orders. But to me, the thing that's jumping out to me is where these increases are coming from. Uh, year to date, our steer slaughter is actually lower. You know, you would think on a year where production is up that that's where you're going to start to see, okay, we've just got a lot of cattle, so we're we're moving through them. But steer slaughter is lower, and, and the increase is coming from, from the female side. And you've got beef cow slaughter up 12.7% year-to-date. You've got heifer slaughter up 6.9%. The incentive to rebuild that cow herd has still not been there enough. So I think we, this is something we've been talking about for a couple of years and continue to throw at it, but uh, I think we're there now. We've had such good uh, cow prices. Any poor cow that was out in the country that wasn't um, producing yeah. well, the, the incentive was there to take her to town, and I think that they're, they're gone. So I think we've got this cow herd to a spot to where it is tight enough, and, and it kind of goes back to – some of the other stories over the last couple of years, you look up the definition of a cash cow, you know, as far yeah. as a business term, it's something that you hang on to that just kind of gives you a steady profit. Well, the real cows have not been given enough profit and they're, they've, they've been going to town and not enough money in the beef industry has probably made it down to the cow calf producer as the right. prices of everything else um, rises. 
so does the price of what these cow calf guys are getting. Um, it, it needs to be higher. We're, we're seeing this large um, slaughter number. I just don't think enough money made it down to the, the cow calf guy. And we saw record profits uh, from the Packers sector. We've we we've, we've saw them in front of some congressmen answering questions yep. about their record profits. So just a couple of weeks ago, and they said, "Well, the Packer margins are down to zero. So it does that worry the market? Well, part of me, you know, makes my hair stand up just a little bit. You can probably tell, but part of it is, yeah, maybe they made a little bit of their own bed. You know, as they were yep. continuing to capture all those profits, the cow herd shrunk. Now the now the the beef producer should have a lot of leverage to deal with." if we know how to use it and should be able to get these prices higher. Wow. So where are we? You think that the cow slaughter is, is basically done. We've run the course on that. I just am wondering if we're getting really close to the time to where we're, we're tight. We we've went through some drought. We've went yeah. through um, the, you know, the not enough dollars making it down there. Dude. Um, I think we're about ready to turn this thing around. I think we're there right now. We're starting to see our first bullish USDA reports. We're seeing the cash market start to lead on the live cattle. I've got a lot of signs that are just just kind of punching me to get the horns out here. How about this one? How about this one? Just got a note from Northeast Iowa. Quality bred heifers, 23 to 2,400 apiece. Yeah, I think that uh, when we do start to finally rebuild this cow herd, you know, those heifers need to go back to rebuild. We're going to get really yeah. tight on some beef. Well, beef prices they, they got to be worth more bread than what they are on the hook. And this is starting to sound like they're worth more bread than on the hook. Absolutely. That just coincides with these numbers. Why all these Drives heifers up. and all these cows are in the feed yard and why they're going to slaughter. Yep. So what's that do to the cycle? we've all been waiting for this for it feels like years and that that's the depressing side is you have to we have to liquidate a producer has to liquidate cows in order to get a market to turn around and that that's a frustrating um thing to have to deal with but uh, to me beef's going higher the the live cattle prices are going higher i think the cash feeders are going to stay pretty strong i think we're going to levels that we have not seen before so i do think we have contract highs and um, starting to feel like it's a little bit closer. We, we've always said, well, we keep kicking this can down the road and it's not coming. Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's time for us to kind of dig our heels in and, and ask for some higher prices. And, and uh, magically, when the packer margins got pretty steady to close, the, the box beef started moving higher. We were uh, in 2020 in COVID, weren't too worried about selling $20 ribeyes. They were moving pretty well and uh, maybe yep. slowed down a little. I'm not so worried about these $9 ribeyes. You know, there seems right. to be concern about keeping them moving along, but uh, we're well below where we were from those highs. Yeah. People think that gas is cheap now because it's lower than what it was in the summer. They look at that ribeye price compared to what it was during COVID and they're still buying. We're going to talk more about meat demand. We've got Glenn Tonzer from K-State coming up in the next segment. Boy, Scott, great conversation. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great weekend. You too. Always enjoy it. Excellent. That's Scott Varlick. Coima, Coima, Varlick Trading. Glenn Tonzer up next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. We don't make the news, we render it. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk and the Farm Journal College Roadshow. This week, Tyne Morgan and her crew traveled to Manhattan, Kansas, Kansas State University. Thanks to Bex for making it possible for Agritalk to bring you coverage here. Tyne will have full coverage this weekend on U.S. Farm Report. Joining us now, Glenn Tonzer. Glenn is a professor in the Department of Ag Economics at K-State. Glenn's focus is on the livestock markets. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Thanks for having me on, Chip. Yeah, glad that you're here. Some of the work that Glenn does at K-State is following the demand trends. He's responsible for the K-State MDM, the Meat Demand Monitor. Glenn, it's a, such a helpful tool. Tell me about it. Yeah, so the the acronym, as you said, is MDM, Meat Demand Monitor, uh, first and foremost, uh, it's important to know it is beef and pork checkoff supported. Every resource that comes from that project is posted on our Ag Manager website. Uh, monthly reports, the raw data, the survey instruments, everything is available for our listeners that want to see it. Uh, but it's an ongoing survey. So we survey over 2,000 U.S. residents every month. And we do oh, at least half of those, so over 1,000 people, are put in a frame of asking what they're going to buy to take home. So think grocery store retail level behavior and the other half for away from home. So it's attempting to do a deep dive into domestic yeah. meat demand patterns. Uh, we've been doing this since February of 2020. And there's a lot you know I can <laughs> share with there, but there's an inflation heavy uh, focus in our efforts sure. sitting here towards the end of October. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Give us a little bit more detail. How are the how is demand holding up? Yeah. So as a general statement, we are seeing U.S. consumers tighten their belt. And I'm going to work my way toward meat specific. I think it's really important to understand where these forces are coming from is since about the second quarter of 2020, we've been having net pay declines for the typical U.S. resident. Now, there's exceptions to that, of course. We're a large country. But in general, the cost of what we buy is going up faster than what people make or what their raises are. And that's resulting in people tightening their financial belt is the analogy I always use. Um, and meat category is not immune from that. So we are seeing some weakening demand, both from a month over month, as well as comparing to same month a year ago. The latter I share for you because it's not a seasonality story if it's you know October weaker than October last year. Um, it's simply people are tightening, tightening their belt. Uh, yeah. You and I are talking about beef and pork primarily right here. We're seeing that in the grocery store as well as the food service channel. Uh, we're seeing a higher rate of food being consumed at home. So a little bit less foot traffic through restaurants in the month of October. And I think that fits into that broader narrative as well, is people are trying to you know, push their food budget around. And one way to do that is to go out and eat a little bit less. 
So this quickly gets bogged down in whether we're recession or not. And I don't think we need to get in that argument here. What really matters is, you know, whether it's a technical recession or not, is consumer behavior changing? And my answer to that question would be a resounding yes. Okay. Um, are they, how, how is it changing? Are they, they simply buying less often or buying less in, in smaller packages? So first, they're trying to consume at home instead of away from home was the first one uh-huh. I alluded to. But the second one is, as you said, there's other adjustments that can be made. One would be changing the cut. So the example I always use is maybe okay. instead of the premium for ribeye, you're now buying sirloin. Or maybe instead of steak altogether, you're trying to buy ground. Uh, in the pork complex, you know, maybe instead of paying up for bacon, you're going to the loin shop. You know, there's different examples of that. So those are shifts within the protein space. Uh, there's also the shift in terms of maybe smaller package size. So instead of throwing that, you know, 16 ounce yep. package in your cart, you're throwing the 12 ounce. So you're trying to hit a total expenditure target. And the way you do that is put fewer ounces in the cart, right? So we're, we're seeing all of those. Each household varies on which one of those changes they're making. Um, but there's a lot of those adjustments that are at play. And we've been seeing some of that for a few months, but it appears to have kind of ramped up in the month of October. Glenn, I tell you what, in my household, I've, I've made some changes in, in how I purchase meat too. But one of the biggest things I've done is I've sharpened the knives, gotten some, some freezer paper and, yeah. uh, uh, I buy in bulk and cut up, cut my own pork chops. It, it, are we seeing any of it? Are you identifying any of that as a trend? Yeah. So that observation would be kind of outside, outside of my MDM data okay. insight. You're asking me more generally because you know, I do see other data sets and I think there is some that are doing what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but what that speaks to is, you know, somebody buying, for example, you know, half a pork loin and taking it home, yeah. cutting up their own chops. Um, there's a trade-off on convenience with that. Uh, some households are doing it, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you everybody is doing that. Uh, right. First and foremost, you need a deep freeze to accommodate that, right? Sure. So uh, not everybody has a deep freeze. And if you get into the bigger cities, you know, just real estate apartment sizes and the like, not everybody has two deep freezes at home like I do. And I'm going to guess you do, Chip. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so, so there's that, you know, like technical feasibility of that shift varies by household is what I'm trying to allude to. Gotcha. Uh, that we need to keep in mind. The, the other thing I'll share with you that feeds exactly into that is some work that Jason Lusk and I've done for the pork board over the last few months points to how you know folks are responding. And one of the things we see is just the outright importance of price is growing. So of course, as an economist, I have to clarify price is always important. But what I'm trying to make the you know the narrower point here is folks are paying attention to price more than they were a year ago. So we always look at the price, but we also look at brand claims and, you know, put a premium on a higher taste, eating quality experience and a lot of other non-price factors. Right. The, the relative importance of price in that discussion has grown. And actually in October, it was the highest it's been since I started this project in February of 20. Wow. Okay. So it, it fits in this broader narrative that, you know, just budgets are being pinched. And I'm yep. trying to make that clarification for your listeners because there's still interest in having meat protein demand, but right. there's this overriding macro pressure that folks are having to trim the budget in lots of categories and meets not okay. All right. Very good. We've only got about a minute left here, Glenn, closer to 40 seconds. Take it to the farm gate. What kind of an impact is this all having on cattle prices, hog prices? Yeah. So we're talking domestic. we got to interject exports real fast, right? All our yeah. beef and pork goes through one of three channels, export, domestic retail, domestic food service. Any of those three tightening puts downward pressure towards the live animal price side of things. 
The story's a little different on hogs versus cattle on the dynamics on supply, right? We're pretty much guaranteed to be shrinking cattle numbers and therefore beef supply domestically over the next two or three years. Yep. I know your listeners are aware of that. Uh, hogs isn't quite as strong of that, but I'm interjecting that because there is some supply side support that might offset some of these demand weaknesses we're talking about. Uh, right. But nonetheless, demand weakness will pull down farm level prices compared to demands being stable. Excellent. Glenn, let's get you back on sometime here real soon and talk about those supply side issues. Thank you so much for making time. Thanks for having me on, Chip. That is Glenn Tonzer, K-State University Ag Economist. Join us Monday morning, U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, Machinery Pete, right here on Agritalk.